Welcome to a special edition of Sorry You're In My Seat. Uh, Aaron's not here. He's having success with his other media things. I'm here with Esther. Looking very, very closely together at the microphone because currently only one is working. It's It's been a, a palaver and I've not used that word very often. It's going to be a short episode, poor quality. The chat's not going to be as good. The jokes are going to be a bit flat. The chemistry between the co-hosts is going to be terrible. Non-existent, you could say. You're welcome. So Aaron's band, Lavere, they're, they're becoming top of the pops. Other music references, they're the big deal. The shiz, the dollar, the number one, the billboard number seven, one. one. They're getting big. Yeah, they're doing really, really well. Yeah, he's doing, in the country. doing gigs all over the gaff. He is not here. So to not miss yet another week, because we've missed quite a few recently. Bloody order gremlins. Um, we have decided that me and the lovely Esther would come out and... Uh, Poison your ears with our drivel, so you're welcome. But it, don't worry, we'll try and keep it short. We'll, it'll be painful, but it won't be as long. No, um, but first of all, big news, because I know someone who's recently finished their MA. I have. It's, um, I won't bore you with the details, but lots of dead people did some really interesting shit. So congratulations. I also, a little birdie told me that also someone passed their drivers test recently. And now I'm going to spend the rest of my life terrifying you with my driving. So there you go. So congratulations. There you go. Thank just you. just thought I'd publicly humiliate you. Um, oh, I feel humiliated. Thank you very much. It's been a big week. We've watched some films. We've watched a lot of films, actually. Well, we're not going to talk about a lot of films because we need to save it for the future. And we have decided to give our audiences a little special summing summing. You're welcome. So uh, we're going to be talking about the first series of New Who. So that's Christopher Eccleston. We, we've been watching it. We've got some thoughts, details, opinions, and we're going to have a butchers. Does it sound like fun? Sounds like fun. Fantastic! Oh, Fantastic! Starting off with Enemy of the State, 1998. Will Smith, he's, he's up to no good. Well, is he, though? Because he's just a normal guy trying to buy some lecherous lingerie when, lo and behold, Jason Lee comes in, slips something into his pocket, changes his life forever. The NSA are after him. The corrupt politicians are after him. Angelina Jolene's dad's not a good guy. Tom Sizemore still had a career. It was 1998. You don't know yeah, that reference. Born. Yep. So... Well, right, so... Obviously, this is a huge film of mine. I love it. We've spoken about it in the Gene Hackman episode. I've even spoken about it in the Will Smith episode. It's the coming together of two, like, polar opposite acting styles. You've got Gene Hackman, the Hackinator, one of the best actors of all time. And you've got Will Smith. He's around. He's charismatic. He's got great skin. He's got great hair. He's got a great voice. But Enemy of the State, what did you think? I like the way it built up. I like the beginning and you see all the... All the stuff that, as a conspiracy nut, you want to see. You want to see evidence that the politicians are working against you and they're doing secret murders and they're thinking they're being all clever. But then a camera and a bird ha- a bird watching hook catches it. And it's like, what are the odds of that? It's all... And then it just unfolds, it unravels. And I thought it was brilliant. I like seeing Will Smith as the, you know, genuinely in love guy who the more you get to know him, the more flawed he becomes. And the idea that there's no one is quite as they seem. There's actually a really good shout because in this, obviously, um, Will Smith has an affair. He's had an affair. He's cheated on his wife in the past. Um, and she holds it against him. It's kind of something that goes against him. We're supposed to be the, the nicer than thou. And then when the NSA, spoiler, it's, it's, you know, it's over 20 years old. We'll, we'll get away with it. Um, they start looking into him and it's implied that he might not actually be as smart or as clean as you think he is. He's obviously he's giving regular donations to his... Um, well, his contact, but the contact is also someone he had an affair with because he uses the the private eye, only known as Brill, who's later discovered played by Gene Hackman in a great role where Gene Hackman is almost like a, a sequel to The Conversation. If you've ever seen The Conversation, which I know you haven't, Esther, because I've put it on the wish list, I believe it is on the BBC iPlayer. It's one of the best films of all time. Okay. It's Gene Hackman basically becoming obsessed. He plays an NSA agent or a CIA agent, I can't remember, who listens into people's conversations. He kind of Borderline becomes obsessed with it. And it's, it's, it's a phenomenal film, a great watch, and one of the best films of all time. Hacker's number one best film. Oh, that's a big stand. That is a big stand. Anyway, so um, I also like the storytelling and the gamble. I remember that is it could be quite a quick serial nutist, as in quickly get away with it, you know, get through it, have the, the trailer spots, if you will. But no, it's like the idea of at the beginning we meet the mob with Tom Sizemore, and then that later they play into it, like a videotape a missed meaning, um, 
Gene Hackman dressed up as a cop, the FBI. They're all interlinked in a... Interlinked, sorry. Are they interlinked? You did. I think that's a new word. <laughs> interlinked. They're all interlinked um, <laughs> in a great... At the end, a symphony of chaos. Like, it shouldn't have worked. And I said that to you. He's like, I don't know what his plan is. Like, he goes in there. there he doesn't have a... One. But then like... at the same time, they've been planning something all along. So it's a sense of... You can't make a plan because nothing's going to plan. But also, don't worry, because you've got a plan in the back pocket. Exactly. Um, and also, a great... He's got massive cast, so John Voight, Gene Hackman, Will Smith, obviously, but it's got Lisa Bonet, Jack Black, Seth Green, and I think Regina King. I love Regina King in most things, and I'm going to put her on the Paul Rudd list of doesn't age. No. Regina King does not age. It's 998. She's looking as good as she does now. Regina King, queen. See, this is when I think you're going to fall out of love with me, is that when I first saw Regina King, I was like, oh, that's the waitress from Cinderella's story with Hilary Duff. This one of the many reasons why I've fallen out of love with you. <laughs> Shackled together by the whimsy of middle age. There you go. There we have it. So, um... But we... no, powerful. I think it's the only thing where you can describe her. She's a very powerful force on the screen. And she commands it. So you were... Your new time to this film. This was your first time watching it. It was indeed. It's on Disney+, Plus. we should mention for any listeners out there that want to go check out a film that I've recommended definitely for the third time now <laughs> on this podcast. But is it an Esther recommendation? Oh, hell Yeah. Yeah, what kind of mood do you have to be in to watch Enemy of the State on Disney Plus starring Will Smith and Gene Hackman? So to watch this movie, James created a wish list of movies that all seem really dark and serious and you've got to be in the right mood to watch them. No, I didn't. You did? No, I didn't. This wasn't on that list. This, the list you're referring to is when we you have to be dark and serious. We watched A League of Their Own. If you want to be a dick about it, that's the film <laughs> that we did. You were just in the mood for something a bit different is what you said. That's when oh. this film came. Okay, well... Either way. You said you were in an... Actually, technically you said, I'm in a 90s kind of mood. I don't mm. know those movies. Pick one. And it was between this or Dead Rising, which I said to you was one of the... was the first bad film that was kind of laughable bad that I'd ever seen. I think you've got 15 minutes before you turn that one off. It's crap. It, it's, not, <laughs> it's not as funny as I remember growing up. Dead Rising's about killer worms from the deep... from the deep, Spoilers. It's a shit film. Oh, Famke Jenkins in. She was um, in the X-Men. She had a career. It was the 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe these people have a resurgence. They'll listen to this podcast and be like, fuck it, I'm going back on the screen. Um, so you recommend it if you're in for a bit different? Yes, bit... definitely. It's one that you watch it and you have to think as you're watching it, but you're not having. it's not too serious, it's not samey, it's a genuinely good watch. So then, still in your 90s binge, you were. You wanted something a bit different, you wanted something a bit more. You said, I've heard so much about the film... Fight Club, that you wanted to give it ganders. Well, all I ever bloody heard about it was that you don't talk about it. And I thought, oh, great, so it's just going to be an action film. Let's get it off the list. I know I should watch it. And it's just going to be people beating each other up for a bit. And then someone has a revelation that they can fight better. And I thought that was basically going to be it. But, oh, was I wrong? So do you genuinely think it was the film Rocky? Which is about, like, an underdog who wins the boxing championship. Do you think it was something, yeah. something akin to Rocky? A hundred percent. My going into it was, you don't talk about it. It's an underground fight club. They fight. End of story. I wasn't expecting a plot. I've got a question for you. Hmm. What's Fight Club about? You don't talk about Fight Club. Good girl. Well played. Uh, Edward Norton, Brad Pitt, Helena Bonham Carter. Love her. Gerard Leto. And I'm going to tell you now, one of my favourite castings, secondary characters of all time, is old Meatloaf. Oh. I, uh, Meatloaf gets a lot of sticks, so does Gerard Leto. It was a period where Gerard Leto was one of the best like character actors. He threw himself into roles. I loved him in the film called American Psycho because I hated him so much. I was really glad when uh, Batman went at him with an axe. <laughs> That's true, that's what happens. But it's great, I think Meatloaf is fantastic, and it's Bob. Oh, Bob. So, Edward Norton plays a unnamed character who basically has lost his way in life. He lives in an Ikea textbook, he gets everything because he thinks he's supposed to, and then one day, with a chance meeting, he meets Tyler Durgan, a rough and tumble? <laughs> is that right? I, don't, I don't think that's right. The alternate, the alternate cool. Like, he's oh, he's not rich, but he doesn't need to be rich. You know, he, he, owns he, he owns it. He finds... He finds pleasures in, uh, I don't know, like pulling the thread, you know, doing the wrong thing. You know, he pees in soup. So he, he lives... does what he can to be unconventional. Everything that he's not meant to do, he's going to do it just because he can. He's... he's the definition of fuck it, why not? He steals fat and sells it back to the fat asses. She's just bloody genius. Pees in soup, interslices penises and children's fix. It's, 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 David Finch here is having fun with this. Do you like Tyler Durgan? I don't want to, but I do. See, so this is actually based on a book, and when people say, oh, I really like Tyler Durden, I always get his name wrong. No, it is Tyler Durden. Um, he, the, the author's like, you're not supposed to like him. He's, he's a morally 
reprehensible. He puts penises in children's films and pees in Sue. You know, he's not a good guy. And no point he's supposed to. It's the disenfranchised mind of the modern man who, who and as a man, it doesn't really. I've never really wanted to beat crap out of someone, you know, just because to prove my manliness or stare at people in the gym and, you know, think, oh, that's what you think a real man looks like. There's a very anti toxic masculinity message to this weird film that has layers but at the same time really doesn't need to have layers so I think with Tyler Durden he's all the things that you wish you could do all those things you have a slight thought in your well, mind and the angel on your shoulder says don't be a dick he even says that doesn't he he says I fuck like you want to fuck I am who you want to be and let's be honest he shaves his hair and he still looks cool but oh, then he gets Brad Pitt but if you were Edward Norton you'd also kind of want to be Brad Pitt well exactly and it's yeah no so I wasn't expecting a plot with this. I wasn't expecting a story. Um, and you're watching it and you, you can't... It makes so much sense. So you've got Edward Norton, who is the by-the-book guy, and he meets the anti-book. Yes. An anti He meets the book. movie. Movies <laughs> killed books, famous. Um, um, and the adventure they go on, it unravels. And I think Helena Bonham Carter's character is so interesting. And I love the relationship she has with the unnamed character because... They challenge each other, but then they're so similar, and then they repel each other, and it's that dynamic relationship of these people are terrible. So he has the ideal life, and he should be the ideal person, he should be the ideal man, but there's something not quite right with him. And then he meets Helen the Bottom Carter, who is an extension of that not quite right, going to all the meetings where they're stealing from each other, and it, and they they make the uh, the roster of which AA groups and support groups are allowed to go to. Yeah, it's cool, yeah. I like that. I bloody love that. Uh, there's two things I really want to point out for this film that, again, Aaron and I have spoken at great length. It's another opportunity for us to say that you should go out and watch these films. Is it, I am Little Johnny's repressed rage. Those constant references to the books that are in this dilapidated house that they live in. It's the only thing in there, barely got any running water, but it's got all these books about little Johnny's repressed rage and <laughs> like his uh, jealousy and that type of thing. And there's a reference throughout the entire film. And the one thing that I really like about David Finch's work is you've seen the film Seven. I have, I loved it. I don't like, uh, no, sorry, I do like his big set pieces. Mm. So everyone, you know, the big thing in Seven is Kevin Spacey, John Doe at mm-hmm. the end shoots. It manipulates Brad Pitt into shooting him and yeah. thus becoming rage. Which doesn't make any sense because he's rage and he's still alive. So you haven't killed seven victims. Don't want to be a dick about it, John Doe, but you're still not right. But I always loved the that's not the film that's not the scenes that sticks with me. The the scene that really sticks with me is Brad Pitt realising that it's something to do with like literature and well read, but he can't be asked to read them. So he gets a cop to drop off the cliff notes <laughs> when he sat in his car. That's the sort of thing that I really I love that like extra layer. And in this, it's not the blowing up of the banks to reset everyone's debt. It's the... That's very secondary to it. So that's that's the big overall plan, is that they're resetting... In also, it won't work society. anyway, because they'd have, like, backups. Well, yeah. <laughs> I literally watched it and I was like, why are they blowing shit up? Oh, right, yeah, yeah, it's because of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to me, it's actually the scenes where he gives them homework to go out and start a fight, and it's where the guy spraying people with hoses. It's those 30-second snippets of David yeah. Fincher films that I absolutely adore. Um... Even going back to... What about when Bob's trying to pass the test to join the crew? Yeah, and he leaves. But then then when you look back on it, it's Tyler Durden that does that. You know who has a go at him. It's not a different character who brings him. It's like, Bob, what are you doing? You you big knob. Uh, Fight Club, recommend? 100%. It was so much better than I thought it was going to be. I bloody loved it. Doctor Who originally aired in 1963 and was the BBC's attempt at a big, grandiose science fiction series that would follow the adventures of a time lord called the Doctor as he took a band of merry young humans around historical places under the guise of an adventure, when in reality it was more of a historical programme. William Hartwell was the first interaction of the first Doctor. However, as age got to him and he became older and more, uh, not as nuanced as he could have been, the decision was made that as a an alien, they could rewrite and recast the main actor. And so we had Patrick Thorburn as the second Doctor in 1966. This would carry on for several, what they would later refer to as regenerations, and lots of historic and creative aliens were brought in as villains, including the Daleks, which your parents and your grandparents were terrified of, despite the fact that they look shit! However, 
The 80s were not the best of times, and Sylvester McCoy, the seventh Doctor, was the Doctor that killed the franchise, despite the fact he was one of the best. Anyway, I'm not going to get into it. Um, what would happen now was it would sit in the ether, waiting to be reborn, regenerated. And we finally got that in 1996 when Paul McCann took over for one video, one episode with Eric Roberts, and it was terrible. But it doesn't matter because lifelong fan Russell T. Davis, since the 90s, had been having a go, knocking on that door, chipping away at the BBC to bring it back. And in 2005, with the casting of Billy Piper and Christopher Eccleston, he got his wish. Russell T. Davis had brought back Doctor Who. If you are an alien, how comes you sound like you're from the north? Lots of planets have a north. So, uh, Doctor Who has a very special place in my part because I quite like you. And Doctor Who's the first thing you and I ever spoke about. Yes, after you uh, <laughs> took over a manager's meeting and um, went all guns blazing, we then went into the office and talked Doctor Who for about an hour, pretending that we were actually doing our work. And one of the first things I ever bought you on your birthday was a little blue book, which was obviously in the shape of a... Uh, TARDIS. Of the TARDIS. A TARDIS. The TARDIS. Hey, hey, there are multiple. There are. I always liked the uh, convertible that the Master had in one series. There you go. Boom. Boom shakalaka. Um, so, Doctor Who has a special place in our parts. I remember the, the British press, they hated the BBC for bringing it back. They, they thought they'd run out of ideas. They thought Russell T Davis was a knobhead and Chris Reckleston was just some punk from the north. The north! Sorry, I had to do it. Um, and they were wrong because, you know, it's several times later, we've had several regenerations. Chris Reckleston, Russell T Davis, Billy Piper, they, they did it. Well, I think you had to be very careful when you were bringing in the first team because it had to be people who could take something silly and something that had you know, pretty much paper mache in the previous years. Exactly, that's a good shout. I mean, if you think about the Cybermen, if you look at the history of them, in one of the um, episodes to begin with, they bring in um, the history of monsters. So you walk down this uh, futuristic museum and there's Dalek bits and... Uh, You're talking about the episode Dalek? Yes. Yes, right. Uh, and in there you see one of the Cybermen heads. And that's the sort of thing they were up against. It's a good point. It looks comical, looks jovial. And like, you had to make it serious enough to survive in 2005. My, my dad, though, seriously, he told me when they bring me back he hated the Cybermen. And then as a 2000 audience, we saw that and went, idiots. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute idiots. But then, you know, Steve Moffat, Russell T. Davis, they made statues terrifying. So it, there's a certain whimsy on a Saturday afternoon that terrifies kids and that deep down we're also a bit terrified. I tell you what, watching it now as an adult first, so I was about seven when it first came out and it was a big deal. We all sat around the telly as a family and we watched it and I remember watching thinking, oh, I'm going to be well grown up, I know how to use catch up on telly. So I watched the Weeping Angels episode, which I know isn't this series, but I watched it with uh, my family and then I watched it the next day on my own and it scared the bejesus out of me because it's a two-parter and that fear as a child not knowing what's going on and then watching season one again as an adult now it's really bizarre because all the innuendo and all the, like, the adult jokes completely aren't over my innocent seven-year-old head. Russell T. Davis' his skill is in rewatchability. You'll watch things like Queer as Folk. You'll watch... They did this thing with um, Chris Ruckerson before, and uh, it was about Jesus Christ being reborn into Manchester, and it was... <laughs> I remember he made it uh, sunny at the city of Manchester Stadium. It was Chris Ruckerson playing Jesus. Um, I, I've got to say that... We'll get towards it in the finale... Something happened, and the relationship that was once very strong between Russell T. Davis and Chris Ferguson broke down. Um, they, before it even aired, there was already talk that Chris Ferguson was done, and the newspaper said he was a rat leaving a sinking ship. Now, I understood from interviews that Russell T. Davis always wanted to regenerate the Doctor at the end because he was basically saying it's an introduction. Chris Ferguson is a strong actor. He doesn't want to do it long-term. Chris Ruckleston has a history of never wanting to be in the same place for too long. He'll do a film and then do a, try and do a rom-com and then he'll do an action and then he'll do a horror. That's Chris Ruckleston. His, his power comes in really strong drama, doc, uh, drama stories. It's a bit different. He's never going to be an A-lister, but he's going to give you a great performance. I love Chris Ruckleston. Chris Ruckleston might have been the greatest choice to bring back Doctor Who. And there's one thing in this country, Esther. I reckon, and this is genuinely true, that if we decided who Doctor Who was based on a general election, there would be more votes than are in an actual general election. Oh, we care in this country more about who is in the TARDIS than who is in the fucking palaces of Westminster. That's the country that we want cup of tea, we want Doctor Who, and we want it in that order. See, my favourite thing is that, you know, obviously we're in a very, very political time at the moment with everything that's going on, 
But nothing will be as political as when they threatened to release the Doctor's name and there were marches around London and all around the country. People marching, we do not want to know the Doctor's name. Exactly. And it's something inherently British that that in the 60s we loved, the 70s we loved, and, and in the early 80s we loved. And we just fell out of love with it. But we're back. And there's a love in. There's been several. I still think the best Doctors have been in the most recent years. We're going to start off with season one of New Who. Going to tell you now? Not a big fan of classical Who. Very hard to get hold of. It's hard to get a hold of, and also I feel like you need you need to be introduced to it. You can't just go and watch it because you're like, oh, this is ridiculous. You have to be in the right mindset, and you have to have that right level of whimsy. Maybe a glass of wine. Originally, our plan was to start from season one and start with the Unearthly Child. Not on BBC iPlayer. So we it's can't start it. We decided to start a new Who. I love saying new Who, by the way. I, I, I love it. Some people hate it. I love saying new Who. Because it sounds like we're Who. That's the kind of child I am. That's <laughs> what we're going. So we're going to kick off now. Chris Freckleston. Thoughts, feelings, opinions. We, we first meet him in the episode Rose, where he famously says Ron sets the tone for New Who. I think it's the sense he's got that sense of adventure and everything is a possibility. The world is open and you, in, you're you introduced to Doctor Who not through Chris Rexham by Billy Piper because you Great are, choice. You are the, the viewer. You don't have any of this experience. And for a lot of people watching Who for the first time, they hadn't seen Classic Who and it was this new show in 2005 creating new audiences. And they didn't know the law of it. And also, because they've brought it back after such a long period, Rusty Davis addressed that. He said, there's been a time war. This is a new Doctor. This is a new series. And Rose with Eccleston means that you can go through and figure out what's happened. You learn enough of the back law to be able to understand it. But you're also asking questions all the time. Also learn later, more in Capaldi's time and uh, Matt Smith, that the reason he's probably drawn to Rose is because he is Rose. He's the Time Lord of Criminal Rose. Rose can't hold down a job. She's a, an underachiever. She seeks for adventure. She wants for it. We find out later that the Doctor stole his TARDIS because he didn't fit in Gallifrey. He didn't belong. He wanted to do something different, go against the grain. So in it, he finds a compadre, a friend. And I think that's probably where... I really like this. I love the strength, and there's something that's undeniable, the chemistry between Christopher Eccleston and Billy Piper. And I never give Billy Piper a juice because I was never a big fan of that. D- she did a song. That oh, you d- I knew you were going to bring up the song. I hate the song. Do you know what? I love... You love Friday by Rebecca Black. I love... You can't do because you want to. I love annoying songs, and I love... I've got a special gift. My Doctor oh. Whoian gift is getting songs stuck in people's head. Jason had never heard the song Friday by Rebecca Black. I worked with Jason. By the end of that day, Jason was singing Friday by Rebecca Black. I do it. That's my gift. Cannot, stead, cannot stand because we want to. If it gets in my head, I'll throw myself under a train. And yet you make me think about Ebony's a good... All the time. You, it's your fault. You fell in love with me. It's your own fault. Anyway, so their, to myself. their chemistry is is undeniable. Mm. Let's look at the, the theme music. I, oh. I, I love her music. I've just played a little. Maury Gold's got it, mate. Maury Gold has it. One of my favourite memories. Um, and again, for me, Doctor Who is very much a family thing. It's something you all sat around together and watched because you had all the different generations wanting to watch it together. And... We went to go see Doctor Who at the Proms. That's and I'm jealous, very jealous. The music was just incredible, and the feeling and the atmosphere, because Doctor Who brings together a very family-oriented vibe and a very nerdy vibe and a space where that's completely okay. You don't have to worry about you've got the latest mascara or you're wearing the, like, the newest clothes. You're there because you love a guy who runs around with a solid screwdriver, so he can't, like Captain Jack, create a door out of nothing, but he can... That's right, <laughs> special guest. If you can hear that, the ice cream man. The temperature is nearly, is nearly zero. But uh, come hell or high water, the ice cream man will always show up. Represent Joe Ices. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so the Doctor is always going to have a special place in the heart because he never tries to be the best. He is the best and sometimes he's cocky about it, but at the same time he's also got the vulnerability that makes you follow him all the time. There's something that's going to come up now, and I'm going to mention it now because I think it's more important. I, I feel like... The next Doctor that comes up, Tennant, is everyone's favourite Doctor. Mm. And one of my criticisms is that he knows the answer to everything. What I love about Eccleston's Doctor, he doesn't know the answer. We first meet him, Rose, he doesn't know where the transmitter is, despite the fact it's really obvious. It's the, it's the London Eye. It's a chance to get the London Eye in there. He damn straight the BBC, we're all over that. But it is, his, his constant doesn't really know what to do. He, he's reacting, and that's something that misses from later... Later, Whovian episodes. He's like, I hate the Doctor being knowing everything. Where's the Where's the peril? He, he, oh, it's space. Oh, I know this. It's like, no, I really like this Doctor. Grounded, recently regenerated as well. Looks at himself in the mirror. Says, Ugh. you know, with these ears. You know that kind of thing. Love that. I love the backstory. You mentioned the time war comes up. Great. 
we're not going to mention Noel Clark. He's a character in it. Mickey, 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 Mickey is a boring character that needs to ground Billy Piper in some sort of reality for later. I think later on in the series, you need a reason for why she might want to stay off for people to keep her there. Uh, Noel Clark's done some horrible things. We're moving on. Jackie Piper, the mother, though. That's a mother. Well, it's terrible. Mo- Jackie, what did I say? Jackie Piper. Jackie Piper. I like Jackie Piper. I keep with Jackie Piper. Jackie Piper. A terrible woman. Great mum. Like, <laughs> like, like, she... You'll get a job down Asda. <laughs> She's having chips for dinner. Do you know, I think Doctor Who's given me some sort of, like, neuroses about getting chips because they just make such a big deal about, oh, what are you going to do? Go home and eat some chips. But my family like, oh, should we go to the chip? I was like, no, we need more from life. We can be more. So we start off with Rose, and obviously Rose has an encounter with the Doctor... Goes away, meets a gentleman on the internet. Uh, Clive. Clive, I've told you about this. So he's got pictures of Doctor Who in other adventures <laughs> on the Titanic or a painting or a, like a drawing from a, an African tribe type thing. But we know that this is the first time we've seen him. Mm-hmm. And we we meet him when he dies, mm-hmm. where, where them adventures. What would have made more sense is if he had a picture of Rose and it freaked them both out. That's what, ah, you see, now yeah, you're thinking. that be a paradox? No one would have been a paradox because you didn't touch it. Anyway. Rose, great series, plastic things coming to life. Jackie Piper, brilliant. Oh, oh sorry, how did I not mention this? Clive shows up later, doesn't he? And gets murdered. I said this to you. Gets, g- no, no, that's what I mean. Shows up later in the episode. Gets murdered in front of his kids. <laughs> like, knew who? Brutal. Oh, I, God, I don't yeah. know what the classics were like, but he gets gunned down in front of his family. His son looks at him and watches him die. Knew who? Yeah. Brutal. <laughs> From that, we go to the end of the world. The Doctor, at the end of it, entire story goes, oh, um, it, it travels through space. And she's like, nah, nah, brother, I'm not bothered. And then he's like, it, it goes through time. She drops no Clark like that. She dropped him quicker than a nasty habit. And she that, that horrible song she should have dropped. Anyway, she goes to the end of the world. We meet Cassandra, the, the world's last human, though she turns out she's not. Can I just say brilliant villain i know i love that and she comes up in later episodes lady um, cassandra sorry i can't remember what no, i said i say camilla no you said cassandra oh okay well then well that now it's taken on a weird vibe hasn't it, it? Has now, yes uh, so I, I love her because she's so vain she's so zoe zoe want to make her voices and does such a great job you can almost see that karen style hair on this yes. paper thin skin monster <laughs> well everyone wants to be a bit thinner don't they she's having a blood bleached really like this as well this is where you find out about the time war so um, the trees that have evolved from the planet earth recognise Doctor Who as a time lord and say basically I thought you were gone last time we saw the time lords Gallifrey they were a big deal going around swinging their dick in interdimensional troubles but now they're gone time war the last war went up against the Daleks and wiped each other out there's only one survivor one man Doctor Who do you remember Doctor Who had to kill everyone it's important to remember this Doctor Who wiped out everyone time lord and Dalek alike there are no Daleks or time lords left ever remember this Russell T Davis made this point in episode 2 there are no Daleks and there are no time lords left remember that it's important the Unquiet Dead, don't like it, not a fan. The Unquiet Dead is obviously, we go back in time now, because he's all about the time, and we meet... Uh, Gwen! Yeah, if you're a fan of Torchwood, this will be your first introduction to Gwen. Um, although she's the same actor, different character, right? I didn't, like, I didn't watch Torchwood. It was, just, it, was just, it was just idiots having sex, I was not interested. I had Channel 5 for that. It was the, it was uh. the, it was the 2000s, that's what Channel 5 was for. So I liked this episode because it was going back in time and it was playing around the idea of meeting Charles Dickens and the idea of them getting dressed up in their fancy clothes and the costumes. And as a kid, what doesn't entice you about people getting dressed in costumes, including... Oh, no, wait a second. The Doctor just wears the same outfit again. This this episode kind of irritates me because it introduces the idea that they meet a famous character in history who doesn't know their place and helps helps them... fix it is fine if it's one or two but they do this with Vincent van Gogh I believe they do this with uh, the mystery the mystery writer who wrote uh, Death on an Arm Agatha Christie they do it with Agatha Christie they do it multiple times it's actually a bit oh, they no. do it with Robin Hood as well And oh I didn't like the Robin Hood episode but with that's the... because you hate Capaldi and we'll get on to it no um, but with this one so going back to Agatha Christie she doesn't fix it she explain where her oh stop stop justifying you who <laughs> You love it. I love saying you who. Uh, it's all right. It does explain a lot of things that you need to know. It sets up Torchwood, kind of, because obviously this it character is in Torchwood. And it sets up the rift. And basically why Cardiff is the new London. Obviously the BBC were filming in Cardiff at the time because that's where its headquarters were. That's Still why. Are. 
No, they've moved. No, they're still I thought they'd moved to Manchester. No, they did for um, do you know I'm pretty sure they're back to Cardiff now. Do you know I, do, I guess it doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, Aliens of London. So the first two-parter, they come back, going to start off here with something amazing, something great. They're not. It's not 12 days later. It's 12 months later. Rose's been gone a year. People think she's dead. People think Mickey's a murderer. You know... Mickey the idiot. Mother the Mother Piper. <laughs> mother Piper's been blaming everyone. Throwing shade, as you will. So what happens that when they're here, aliens land. It's the first contact. Doctor Who doesn't want to be involved. It's like, no, this is up to you. He can't stop his time lord brain from getting involved. Turns out it's a pig. What's that about? Turns out there's aliens in the in in, in Tender Downing Street. in Downing Street. I think this is just fun. I think this I think this was a lot of fun. It I was I, fart I, joke you, central. It was people running around in fat suits. And, I mean, not even the actors are that big, that's so funny now, but this go around and they peel their head off and you hear this, like, nauseating electric sound and the lights go and, oh, it's a bit magical, isn't it? But every time it gets a bit scary because you know, the world's going to end, don't worry, they just fart. There is a reason that you needed to have this episode, though, because Doctor Who, this isn't a reboot. This is a continuation. This is where people... He says, Doctor Who says, there's a room full of really important people that I need to be in. Members of, of unit, the people he used to work for. So you now need to get rid of these people because you're starting a new timeline. You've managed to get rid of the Daleks and you managed to get rid of the Time Lords. Remember that. There are no Time Lords, there are no Daleks, but they don't exist anymore. So now you need to get rid of like unit, otherwise you can just go to them. So that's what this episode does, removes unit. They die in that room with the Doctor. The Doctor's the only one that survives. And then you have aliens. And what's really good is here, the aliens want to sell Earth. They're commercial developers. You Love can't that. really blame that, because that's basically England 100 years back. All right, history. <laughs> um, got to mention Penelope Wilton here plays Harriet Jones. MP for Fly Down North. Loser. Um, lots of computer-generated imagery, which does not age well. Oh, but that's why it's so beautiful. Which I agree. It is part of its charm. Two-parter ends with the Doctor making a promise that he'll always protect Rose, despite the fact that he did just launch a nuclear... No, not a nuclear, a tactical missile at her. <laughs> As is the doctor from a computer way. in someone's bedroom. Yeah, Mickey is able to access all of Earth's defences, which is a bit weird. But don't worry, it happens again in better episodes. So I'm really glad that worked. Those were in terrible last words. And I'll be honest, what follows next is, I think probably the best one of the best hours of television I've seen in a while. We, we, we're talking about Dalek, where he comes across the last surviving member of the Dalek race, hidden away in a vault, controlled by. A terrible businessman, and I don't think the businessman's necessary. I, I know you need a storyline for why he's there, and you need to put human lives in the way of it. But but if you removed him, and I don't know how I'd, you'd do it. Don't I'd be quite happy for him to have died in the episode. Yeah, he, he does. He kind of gets his comeuppance, but then you're you're introduced to Adam, another member of the Ugh. team who joins. But that's not that. That's not the acting. The acting is the Dalek, the Dalek and the Doctor. The Doctor terrified that there's just one remaining. A touch. It Rose touches it. It changes its DNA. It's no longer a Dalek. It's some sort of hybrid. It ultimately kills itself because its belief is... Remember, the Daleks are the ultra-Nazis that believe in purity. It's been it's been contaminated by... The only emotion is fear. Yeah. No, hate. I, yeah, hate. Yeah, hate. Um, and it is, it's, it's horrible. It's absolutely a horrible episode, but really good, makes you think. A powerful Saturday, 7 o'clock, and you're sat there thinking about what yeah. it means to be. It is... I cannot... I cannot... Stress enough. Stress enough how much I love it. Horrible sporting cast. Absolutely hate oh, uh, Van Pasten or whatever his name is. The guy Van who owns Satin. the Van Stan. No point of him. Arrives on Bad Wolf, and now obviously Bad Wolf is is the link to the series finale. We were so far we've had so much Bad Wolf, like the face of Bo appears on Bad Wolf television. You've got Bad Wolf landing now. Gwen's like the big Bad Wolf. <laughs> so you've got you've got Wolf. They're all bad. They're, they're not good for you. They're bad. Anyway, it's thrown down your throat, this. Another companion, Adam. Oh, I can't be dealing with him. Arsehole. Mm. Don't, don't worry, doesn't it's last long. Blanket. And I think that's the problem with the secondary characters that are male in this series. So you've got Mickey and you've got Adam. They're just wet. And I think part of that is, you know, the the woman empowerment of Rose says that she wants to, She goes out and does it. She doesn't want to be stuck at home like a mum. She says there's a world out there, there's multiple worlds, different timelines, whole universes and all the time and space. I want that. I'm going on the adventure. I'm going to have to stop you there. There's not different dimensions because that's the one thing they're not allowed to go into because it's the one thing that they've written out. With the the existence of the timelines being gone, 
they don't actually travel into different dimensions. You they s- only do it once in New Who, and it's one of the worst episodes. There we go. See, they just haven't. All right, the kid. The Long Game. So, so the next one after Dalek. Well, let's be honest. I think Dalek is one of the best. The Long Game is 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 shit. Is shit. You say this, but it's one of the ones that stuck with me longest because is in it? my family we weren't allowed to watch reality TV. We weren't allowed to watch soaps because you know bad moral guide and all that shit. But this one's about the news. This one's about all the different channels. Yeah, and but they're all news based. Well, are they? They, they are news based. No, that's that. You're getting confused. The that's game. that's the series finale. That's not now. This is when oh, they okay. travel to Platform well, Five first. Sh- and we get what happens later is you get a big British actor as a villain. That happens quite a lot. You get it later with, I know you don't, is your, let's not forget, that episode could come up next week, uh, next time we do this, so let's not talk about that. We get Simon Pegg. Simon Beck is the villain. I love Simon Pegg. He basically, Doctor Who takes Rose and Adam here to this future because it's supposed to be the big and bountiful human empire. Turns out humans, bit shit. Yeah. They've, they've installed an overlord who's basically controlling human development. A secret overlord, though. Secret overlord, obviously. And then... Mighty Jagrafas. Sometimes I love you even more, and that was one of those times. You're welcome. Um, bit of a pleb. Adam turns out, gets a computer installed in his head, which is just a simple click, which I still don't understand as I was talking to you. I mean, if we're going to rip apart the logic of Doctor Who, they come to the future that they can install a computer in your head. But they, but they can install it so anyone can open it. Like, if you click no. your fingers... No, no, you say it's default, but at the same time, shouldn't it be standard? You know, I, I deal in privacy matters at work. It shouldn't be that easy. You don't click your fingers and have access to someone's head. No. Stop so sticking up for this. Let me stick up for it. So, he goes into the surgery, and basically, she's the greatest saleswoman of all time. She He, she walk, he walks in and is like, oh, yeah, what have you got? And she's like, well, you've got some limited credits, so you can have everything. So just, just goes ahead and does it all. Um, he doesn't know the charges because the doctor has changed his credit. He can get whatever he wants. But he is, she installs the chip into his head, loads it up, he gets all the grand stuff. And she says, we've put you on the basic setting, which is click to open your head, change at your time. And then that's when he realises that he's motherfucker fucked up. Yeah, so it basically tries to change the future by downloading the history. So he can, and then he phones his mom back in time because you can do that time and space and shit. Sorry, screwdriver. Okay. Uh, and uh, he does that, tries to change the course of human history. Doctor's angry, saves the day, sends him home. Blows up his phone. Packed lunch. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's not happy, and I really like that. There's Doctor Who, no second chances. I like that, though. I not think he happy. needed it because otherwise, he could very easily be a soft touch. That's the thing with heroes is that the Doctor's not a hero. He saves people, but he has to make sacrifices, and he won't shy away from that. I, a low point for New Who for me. Probably yeah. the weakest episode. No, actually, I don't like Charles Dickens' episode. I'm going to tell you now, though, you've got three contenders for some of the best Doctor Who episodes of all time. Starting off with Father's Day, a film I didn't see when it originally came out, because I think I had rugby, and I only saw it a few years ago when I was okay. rewatching New Who. So Rose Tyler's father died. Died on his own, got hit by a car. Rest in peace, Pete. Rest in peace, Pete. She goes back in time because she doesn't want him to be alone this time. She's too scared, so she basically just watches. Uh, she just watches her dad get run over, which is pretty fucking dark, and he dies. So she's like, "Shit, probably should have done something." She goes back in time again. This time, she's going to be with him. She's going to be there when he dies. No, fuck that. She's going to save his life. Saves his life. Blips out. Doctor was not happy, and this is where we get. Because the time laws aren't around anymore, it's not easy to fix these type of situations. Basically, they fucked up. These creatures called Reapers start coming and start sterilising, destroying them, basically eating up. Hide in the church because they've got history, take longer to break down. TARDIS is working a way out of creating this new timeline, but it's not as easy. Rose can't touch Rose, though, because obviously Rose is a child in this universe. Paradox. Rose can't touch herself. Dear Lord. So she's in there, she's meeting her dad, she's trying to... I mean, it's hilarious when Jackie's like, oh, you got another blonde home, and you realise his dad that's been the perfect dad and her mind actually was a bit of a scoundrel. There is a moment where, where he realises like that she's Rose, because she told him <laughs> I'm Rose, but then realises it's her daughter. And there's this really powerful moment where he's like, tell me what I'm like in the future. And she tells him, you're a brilliant dad, you're there for me. You took me to the countryside. You took me to the countryside, you read me stories every night. And he realises that he's dead because he's a shit dad and he doesn't do any of that. So he's like, oh, I'm dead then, am I? Then has the, then later is annoyed that he's not dead anymore. (laughs) Arsehole. (laughs) Arsehole. Because I'm dead. Like it's her, she saved you, dickhead. (laughs) She saved you. 
I, I think he knows that he can't, so he knows he's got to sacrifice himself, and there's something different than a freak accident and having to willingly go to your own death. And basically time is rewritten when um, he sacrifices himself, because the only bit of time that they can't sterilise is the bit that's the continuity, so the car is constantly driving round in a loop. Pete understands this because the Pete, uh, Doctor dies in this. The Doctor is removed from history and is just Rose, left with humans. Pete sees the recurring car, realises he must sacrifice himself, throws himself in front of the car, time resets, Billy's there, uh, sorry, uh, like he like fucking matters. <laughs> uh, Rose is there, holds his hand, and then the story, the history changes. The story is now that a random blonde woman was there when he died. And held his hand. And held his hand. Alone. And then fucked off <laughs> before anyone else showed up. But it's okay. It all made sense in the end. Absolutely powerful story. Talking at the heartstrings. Dalek's still number one for me, but this film, uh, this episode, sorry, heartbreakingly good. And the removal of the Doctor as well. Very powerful stuff. Yeah, seeing what Rose can do on her own. See, seeing what humans can do on their own. Like, there's a, the, the, my favourite moment is when he's talking about, they say, the nurse, uh, not the nurse, the bride and the groom go up and say, oh, we're nobody. we're nobody, but could you help us? And he's like... You're the most, you're the most precious things in the world. It's, it's fucking, it's, yeah. it's new Hollywood is best. No, it's not because next you get the empty child and the duck de dances. Oh, genuinely, some of the most terrifying TV. Are you my mummy? <laughs> a childlike creature that's got a gas mask for a face can communicate through any telecommunication uh, device. Turns the TARDIS into an actual phone book. It's World War Two. The Blitz is on. We are introduced to Captain Jack. Well, hello there. Are you a fan? Oh, massively. Barryman made a career out of this. He squeezed this fucker dry because I'd never seen him before and then this came <laughs> along and the fucker was on everything. Never mind the Buzzcocks, the one show, all of that shit. He oh, was he everywhere. Was... And the highlight of his career, he was the host for Who Will Be The New Nancy in uh, Oliver Twist by... Frogman, you're the whole goblin. Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, I hate Andrew Lloyd Webber yeah. with a vengeance. If you say his name three times, he'll make another musical. <laughs> um, I think probably I love Dalek no I still point Dalek number one these are two and three though these are brilliant I, I think because it's got so much layer so many layers to it with Nancy in this one not singing don't worry um, and what she does for all the children of London and the fact that there's that sense of camaraderie throughout the Blitz there's little jokes that you don't understand when you're a kid that you go back and you watch and you're like, oh, that's what she's insinuating. That's how she manages to get all the food from the man's table. Yes. The Doctor Dances itself is a reference to the Doctor having sexual relations as well. It's a whole thing. It's, we're introduced to uh, Captain Jack as well, who is bisexual. Yeah. Or as they... And, and this is a really good way of putting it. He's not bisexual. It's the future. The man has evolved. He just likes it. He's just He likes a bit of everything. And to be fair, he's a handsome man. He's quite charming. He can get it. Oh, God, yeah. Get a great dynamic now. And now I know what you were talking about earlier. A weak male secondary characters. And this uh, is the one exception. One exception. Captain Jack is fun to be around. He's fun to be with. Do you know what? And he's flawed. He's sexy. And do you know what? He knows how to dance. You're falling in love a little bit. I see it in your eyes. Huh, I haven't okay. seen that way since you looked at Rory the first time. Stolen. Um, terrifying. Genuinely quite... Not terrifying, scary. Keep you on the edge. Not nice. Are you my mummy? <laughs> Great resolve, though. Like yes. Of the two parts as well. And I, and I can normally see where it's going. Didn't mm. see this one coming. No. Didn't see this one coming. It's really good. Check it out. It's on BBC iPlayer. think probably the best. Um, do you know The Muffin Man? The Muffin Man? No, that's not relevant. <laughs> when you have a TV series, and I'm explaining more to the audience, but I'm going to explain it to you as well, in case you don't know. If you did know, I apologise for wasting your time. When you have a series, you always want to underrun the money productions on one of your shows. The reason you want to do that is because you want to save up for a finale where you use more special effects. So you always have a show, usually called a box episode in America. If you are talking about the TV series Breaking Bad, there's the episode The Fly, which is just Jesse and Walt locked in a room. All you're doing is the cost of the actors, which you already have to pay for the series anyway, the cost of the crew. No special effects, no extras. You save up that money, you use it in a later episode. What you've got now is you've got Boomtown. So the main cast travel back to Cardiff. So you, there's no special effects, it's Cardiff. They deal with one of the Slovene who stuck around after last time. She wants to ride the Delta Wave. So we've got a lower budget here, but usually when you've got a lower budget episode... You get more story. You get more story and you get more acting because it's more relied upon. The Doctor takes out the Slitheen for dinner because she's being taken back home and it is the death penalty. Uh, it's, do you know what? It's one of the funniest scenes ever is when he's taking this uh, alien to dinner. So it's two aliens at dinner in a fancy Italian restaurant. 
just trying to outwit each other every opportunity. And she thinks she's so smart. She's like, oh, well, in times of deep distress, a Slovene female can poison, uh, get a poisoned dart from her finger and he just catches it like it's nothing. Yeah, he knows. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm, I will go. Can also expel it through the lungs. Thanks for that. And then he's just, I love the fact that he's got breath freshener on him at all times. Um, it's, it's, it's a good episode. It's a good tight episode. It's fine. It, it, it's needed. It's a smaller episode as well that kind of ends the Mickey romance. Mickey Don't worry because they bring it back next series, which is kind of weird because they end it here. They kind of definitely end it. Mickey's with another girl and doesn't like the fact that he's constantly on call. This is actually setting up for their breakup to remove the emotional anchor. Mickey, that's what this is about. But don't worry because in the next episode they completely undo that. So <laughs> don't worry about that at all. Uh, Captain Jack's in it. They're saving up now. You can tell. You can tell a two-part they finale is coming up. They relationships. And that's something that's important with Doctor. It's all different characters have a lot of strong relationships with each other and that's what this episode allows you to indulge in. Going to have to split them, though, because the series finale is a two-part. However, they are two completely contrasting stories. We've got Bad Wolf. They're back on Platform 5. It's 100 years later. Is the big, beautiful, bountiful empire of the humans in existence... No, no. Why? Because we've been sat on our fat asses watching, as Esther alluded to earlier... Reality television, a lot of it, and you. This is two thousand and five. <laughs> celebrity, uh, sorry, not celebrity. Big Brother, weakest link. I don't think they've made them in about ten years. With the Android. With the Android. <laughs> so basically, the future now is nothing but game shows on twenty-four reality TV, constantly streaming, keeping the human race sat on their bums. We find out that the the human Earth, the human Earth, the Earth is basically a, a hellhole. There's smog. The twenty-four hour smog storms. You can't go outside. You just sit inside watching television constantly. The Doctor is flabbergasted. He's in Doc. He's in uh, Big Brother. Um, Oh, Sinian and Truzan. Sin- oh, Trini- I don't. I never Trini watched and it. Susanna. That one. That's that's the, the one. Fabricator. Every woman was very happy to see that from Altamente. Um. So they're all basically in their shows. Um. I think you know Billy. Oh, fucking. Billy Piper. Billy Piper does a great job of answering questions in the like the two thousand million future. Like oh. she's really good. So she's <laughs> like in. She gets to the final. <laughs> yeah, she's in the weakest link, and uh, they're asking her what the princess of the royal family is, and she hasn't got a bloody clue. Um, so you've got you've got this. What's happening? You've Anne Robinson is an android. She's a droid that you don't want to mess with. She's badass. She's got a laser. She'll shoot you if you lose. She, it's brilliant. It is a fantastic performance. Doctor realizes that he's been put in there for a reason. Escapes. They all escape. They come see the controller. And for all the nineties kids, you're gonna love this because Elaine the Pain from Tracy Beaker is back again as Elaine the Pain in Doctor Who. I don't think she's back. Is she? Is it Elaine the Pain? Is Elaine the Pain? Don't matter. She gets a conference in the next episode. Exactly. Um, what happens is it's revealed that the controller has actually been controlled. Oh, by an unseen enemy that that basically doesn't give a shit what's on TV. They 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 want the TV broadcasting twenty four hours a day. And you can tell they don't care because there's ten floors of Big Brother. <laughs> so what's happened is uh, the controller is actually a good guy and has. What she's done is she's hidden them in the games. So Jack and the Doctor try to find Rose. She passes. The androids add enough of a shit and disintegrates her. Doctor's not happy. Well, you wouldn't be, to be you, honest. You would be he's distraught. They paid for the episode, the one was there. He's distraught, he's not happy. But it doesn't matter, he works it all out. It's not a disintegrator. It's a transmat beam. Obviously, it's a transmat beam, guys. Obviously, but where's it been sent? It's been sent to the other side of the moon. What? I haven't seen those ships in a while. I recognise them. It can't be. I wiped them all out for defos. Twice, because I killed the other one that was in episode six. But did he? It's the Emperor of the Daleks is back with a fleet of Daleks because Russell T. Davis loves going to that Dalek hole in the sky. He fucking loves it. First series has to end with the biggest threat to the Doctor. We are now heading headfirst into the parting of the ways, which is going to be your climax, your finish to the first new Who series. Christopher Eccleston's bowing out. Will Billy Piper stay with the series? Because there was obviously talk that she was going to leave as well. Is this the end of New Who? New Who was over before it even begun. The Daleks are back. The Emperor, blasphemous. He's found religion. And that religion is himself. Because he's fucking great. 
He's over the moon. What he loves is Daleks made out of Daleks. He even turned humans into Daleks. But he'll purge their cells, and that's what he's been doing for over a thousand years. So when they came back in the first episode, they'd installed Jaffa Cakes. What was his name? The Mighty Jabberfat. Yeah, that one. So it turns out that the Daleks have been controlling humanity behind the scenes, basically to harvest all of them and turn them into a new army of Daleks. It's quite clever, to be honest. It is quite clever. Um, Daleks are scared of the Doctor. I liked that. Seeing that in a modern setting was good. They, he basically, they're like, "You'll do this," and he goes, "No, you're right, fam." <laughs> he says, "No, is that Jennifer? No, what's he say? Nulpa. 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 Disagrees. Saves the day." It's a very of. emotional episode. Is is there's a lot happening, but actually there's not. Basically, this is what you'd expect. The grand plan is they're about to harvest humanity. They're about to destroy the world. The only thing that stands in the way is Doctor. The Doctor asks, why have you been bad-wolfing me for 12 episodes now? So what's happened is he realises that the words bad-wolf have been following him throughout all his episodes, uh, throughout all of his adventures, sorry. And he says to the the god of the Daleks, because let's give him a correct title, they, the Daleks worship him as a... As a god, yeah, so he's the emperor. so so no, he's past that. He was always the emperor, but now he's a god, and you know, so to give him his fair dues, <laughs> he is god. So the god of the Daleks has decided to destroy the planet. Oh no, sorry, he he asks, what's the? Oh my god, I'm mumbling like a knobhead. What's the purpose of the bad wolf? And the Daleks like, you what, fam? I what don't, don't know what you're on about, Toad. Doctor Who comes up with a plan. It's to use a delta wave to destroy all the Daleks. But it's going to take three days to do that. They only have three hours. But what if he doesn't refine it? Then he can do it. He can get it done in time, can't he? But he'll kill all humans. So then it boils down to the question of, is it worth it? Because he does make the argument that in some way, humanity will survive because there's pockets of them. There are humanity in the stars. And whilst they won't survive for very long, there'll be some sort of continuance of the human race. However, these are all the Daleks. Remember that. These are all the Daleks all of existence. And what does he say? He says... It'd be worth it. And what do we know about this doctor? Where well, he's recently survived the time war, the only survivor of the time war. We know that he is battle hardened, a warrior. And he'll make the hard decisions. He'll make the hard decisions. And what does he do? He sends Rose away in the TARDIS with a goodbye message. Oh, it breaks my heart every time. I can't watch it without generally getting emotional. He sends her back to keep her safe, and she's there with Jackie. And Jackie says, "Oh, thank God he did that. It's the right thing to do." It is the right thing to do. You know, she's gone travelling. It's the equivalent of you going to like I don't know Norwich, and there'd been a civil war on at the time, and the taxi driver going, "No, I'll take you back." What a lovely taxi driver. <laughs> so I don't want you to die. <laughs> that taxi driver was paid to get you safely to your destination. If he can't do that, he's going to take you back. That's what should happen. I, there's better metaphors, but that's why. Great metaphor. But I've stuck. I'm sticking with it. So to that taxi driver in Norwich, cheers, pal. Anyway, um... so Rose finds her way back. She's no, 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 fuck that. No, she's no, 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 no. Bef- no, no before we get that, so she's there eating chips, <laughs> talking about getting a job in Asda, and she's like, "The doctor's dying out there for me and for you," and she's like, "I don't care, fam." Then she drops the bullet, the bombshell that she was the blonde girl. That looked after Pete, and I. It's really good storytelling there, because that inspires her mother, old Mama Piper, to do the right thing, and I like that. There's more. The, the storytelling isn't just as she goes back. There's a reason for it. There's justification. Then her Jackie mom. Jackie makes it happen. Jackie makes it happen. She helps her basically open up and suck up the uh, heart of the TARDIS. But but in the future, what's going on is we've got Doctor Who's decided that you know what? All right, humanity's fucked. <laughs> like like I'm, do, I'm doing the Daleks, and it makes sense because it comes from a place of hatred. During this time, the the Daleks are taking out all the secondary characters you've met over the last two episodes. Not one of them is surviving. Jack gone, dead. Bullet in the head. Well. Bullet in the laser beam in the area. He's dead. He's dead. He's dead. And Doctor Who has the final chance. Do you know what? The Daleks surround him and they ask him, "Are you a coward or warrior?" And you're he, a coward or killer. Coward. I apologise. Coward or killer. And he decides. He's a coward. He's a coward. And what I like about this is that he's been a killer before and he ended up lonely. So he decides, fine, I'll 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 be a coward. And if this is the way it has to be, he won't make that decision again. And it's really nice, it's really kind of upbeat message that the human race is going to all become Daleks because the Dalek wants to learn, because uh, the Doctor wants to not kill again. Really like it. Don't matter though, because fucking God of 
wispy wind effects shows up in the old TARDIS because she's sucked out the heart of the TARDIS and it's inside her and she's just fucking turning Daleks into fucking dust. Yeah, so she has absorbed the heart of the TARDIS and she now has the power of the universe. She can see all that's ever it's been and all that will such be. such a fucking cop-out. It's like... Why don't they do that all the time? Like, why they... it, her body can't sustain it. Yeah, no but the doctor can. can. The doctor. No, he can't. Cause he's dying. That's why yes. he has to regenerate. But what I mean is, in the future, there's some other thing. They'll go. I might just suck out the heart of the TARDIS, and they'll go. Because but... he only has the limited regeneration. Yeah, but yeah, but he gets them all back later. So I don't. Anyway, she makes the decision. She brings back Jack as um. She brings Jack back to life, but also inadvertently makes Jack immortal. Which is amazing storytelling in the future. And it sets up Torchwood and the character of Jack and what he would go on to. And what I love about this is she saves Jack where everyone else can get to fog. <laughs> all, those, all those thousands dead to create Daleks. She got the power of the universe and everything. She could bring her dad back to life. She could make McDonald's sell them a McRib 24 hours a day, 365 days a week. But she doesn't. She's a fucking coward. <laughs> Well, she doesn't have it for long, to be fair. She only has it for about a minute. She's got, a, immortal, so she's got enough to save one person, but no one else. And there's a blonde lady that the doctor seems to be quite smitten with. She could bring her Linda back to with Linda with a Y, but she's like, no, get to fuck. <laughs> she doesn't want. And then the doctor kisses her. Ooh. She passes out. She wakes up. She's in the TARDIS. Christopher Eccleston gives. And what I love about this is nowadays the speeches, since uh, Tennant, I've never really liked the ending, the speeches, because they seem quite drawn out. Don't get me wrong, you get really great speeches. Oh, no, I love them. I'm a second I fan. like them, but I think they're, too, they're so melodramatic. And it's the one thing I didn't like about Capaldi's. Capaldi's going away speech, which I thought was awful. He should have just stuck his middle fingers up and gone out like a bro. <laughs> he should have gone. <laughs> like Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania, he should have just rose, rose a beer and had gone. But. Um, Eccleston's I felt was more honest he's like you know he's trying to explain what regeneration is and he's like and he has to he's the first one yeah exactly yeah you and he says oh I've got I'm so proud of saying you who by the way (laughs) he says "Um, I might have no end you know like we'll take we'll go to Barcelona and then and then he dies to succumb he's he's over regenerates into David Tennant setting up everyone's favourite but mine Doctor Who Setting up for series two of one of the BBC's best produced TV series of all time. But Chris Eccleston is done. Over. Dispute with Russell T. Davis. Dispute with the BBC. Didn't want to be typecast. He's done. Will he come back for future episodes? No. He has recently signed on to do some more audio plays. But Christopher Eccleston's time as the Doctor on the mainstream television is dead. Offered several times to come back for TV specials. 50th anniversary Christmas specials. Has refused multiple times. Does not want to go back to what he calls a cash grab. Christopher Eccleston, to me, stands the time as one of the best Doctors. I understood why it was only one series. I do understand when you're bringing it back, you need to have regeneration at the end because it allows you... If it doesn't work, you get a second chance. Yeah. It lets you refine the first episode to what you want. I feel like the first Doctor was always going to be... In New Who, the first Doctor was only ever going to be one series. It kind of was only ever going to be one series. And that makes perfect sense. Like you said, it gives them a do-over. But it also, it sets up the story of everything's temporary and you enjoy yeah. what you've got while you've got it. And I think his episodes are very distinctive and powerful and magical and, you know, bravo. I think his time as the Doctor was one of the best. I think season one of New Who is probably up there with the top three. It's phenomenal. Do not like the negatives, the over-reliance on Bad Wolf, which is something, you know, the team did learn from. When they talk about Saxton later series, it's not constantly it's all the time. From it is, no, it's a little bit more subtle. <laughs> it's, it's not that much so, but it's not everyone's bad wolf or graffiti literally on the camera screen. <laughs> um, Christopher Eccleston's time as Doctor Who was short, but it was memorable and was a great casting choice. Um, in the future episodes, Noel Clark, Billy Piper. Mama Piper would stick around for series two. I think Christopher Eccleston's time is long forgotten. People don't recognise the the time he put into it, the the effort, the fact that he made Doctor Who cool again. Well, there was a whole thing during the 50th thing, you don't skip nine, because people would actually join Doctor Who for Tenant because, you know, his yeah. looks and all. Um, so there's a whole thing going around, don't skip nine. And you shouldn't skip nine. For me, one of the best Doctor Who performances, and maybe it's because it's only one series. Uh, there's a... Did you ever hear about the series Firefly? A lot of people love it, mm. but that's because it only had like a handful of episodes and the argument is you loved it and it was the best because it didn't have time to be shit. Yeah. So if there was more series of Christopher Eccleston, would we have liked it? Maybe it's because it was only 13 or 12 episodes. 
13 because it was only 13 episodes mm. did we love it and and that was Esther and James talking about New Who season 1 and in the future we'll be talking New Who season 2 and I'm going to tell you now you're going to want to tune in for it because I don't like Tennant oh god he's going to get on his moral high horse you have been warned um so, do you want? We've spoken a lot there. The episode went a lot longer than we thought, so I think we'll probably end it there. I'm happy to do so. Okay, well, thank you for listening to this terrible episode of Just Esther and I. I want to thank Esther for being an awesome guest and just being an honest and gorgeous human being. And thank you for letting me ramble. <laughs> right. um, and thank you. And uh, next week, we're talking Sylvester Stallone. And if I don't see you later, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Goodbye. Mama, don't jiggle, jiggle, eat foes. I like the way you wiggle, wiggle, for sure.